everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, joined once again by good old buddy Andre Fernandez. Dre, how have you been, man? Good, man. You know, enjoyed the Super Bowl despite it being a blowout, and uh, but you know, witnessing some history. I'm still. I don't know if I've run as much in my life as much as Patrick Mahomes did on Sunday, but but I'm doing okay. Other than that, I mean, unfortunately though, right around I think it was like four minutes left in the game. Yeah, we we got we got hit. I, it was a gut punch with a, a you know some news that came out, which we're going to talk about now. Yeah, no, the baseball world got hit a heavy hand the uh, late Sunday. Uh, Pedro Gomez, longtime baseball correspondent for ESPN, full of ties with Miami covered more than 25 world series just all around great guy died unexpectedly sunday night he was 58 years old uh family hasn't released the cause of death yet but he did pass away in his home in arizona uh again his miami ties he went to coral park high miami day college um spent a couple years at the herald and from 94 to 95 before mm-hmm. becoming nationally known i unfortunately did not have the honor in my short time covering baseball yet to personally get to meet Pedro but just from what I've heard from everybody else in baseball and just from watching him from afar you just knew how loved he was and how respected and well known that he was and Andre I know you can speak a little bit more you can speak better on this than I can yeah the funny thing with that was that I always I felt like I knew Pedro even though I didn't know Pedro before I met him and that's because, you know, some really good friends and, and, and former colleagues of mine at the Herald knew him really well. Pretty much, you know, you could say journalistically grew up with him and became really close friends with him. And that's uh, my good friend Walter Villa and Armando Salguero, who tweeted a very nice tweet today about Pedro. And Santos Perez, our, you know, our, our boxing writer that's uh, still freelances for the Herald. They, they, they go way back. They go back to like the Miami News days, which people might not even remember the Miami News too much. But, you know, and, and Pedro, always, they always had stories about him. They used to call him Tex. And I guess that was like a nickname he had back then or whatever. And, and you know, really fun, fun stuff. Good guy. A lot of the stuff you've seen come out over the last, you know, almost 24 hours about just his life and what a good person he was. And then I got to meet him, which I felt lucky to do that, you know, at Marlins Park. And again, me, you know, just kind of just, you know, starting out as Clark Spencer's backup, real, you know, treated me like if it was anybody else, real down to earth, real helpful. Like, you know, he told me like anything you need, you know, here you go. Like, let me know this type of thing. And we, we hit it off immediately. And then I was like, OK, now I see why he's such good friends with these guys, why I consider close friends, too. And again, it was just a reflection of the person he was. I saw him again a couple of times, you know, like covering all-star games, you know, how it is like we cross, you cross paths with, with national media all the time at the big events and stuff like that. But again, always, you know, very warm, very kind person to always took a minute to, to at least, you know, talk to you even if it was busy and that sort of thing. And again, like I called it a minute ago, it's just a gut punch because it's one of those things where I, I, I looked at the tweet and I was like, you know, I can't believe this. And, and from, you know, I I couldn't even focus really on the rest of the game. I mean, it was like the game only had like a few minutes left, but it was like I was glad the game was over because I just I was out of it from that point on. Like I couldn't it was all I could think about pretty much for the rest for like a couple hours after that, because you, you're shocked by the fact that someone like that here today and, and, and gone tomorrow like that. And, it, and it, it, it really hits you. It really I mean, 58, we shouldn't be losing a guy like Pedro, especially someone that like you know, you think a minute ago, he looked like it was, it, it seemed like he probably was just fine. And then this happens. It's just, 
it's devastating. It really is. And it's devastating to the, to, to the sport, to the, the writing community. I'm not even going to say only baseball, just the sports writing community in general. Yeah, definitely. I mean, condol- our condolences go out to his family, his wife, his kids, and to the entire baseball world as we, we mourn more in life. And again, his memory is not going to be forgotten. He is going to be remembered for a long, 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 long time. Definitely. And on that note, we're going to switch back into actual baseball news. We have spring training scheduled to start in just over a week. I mean, MLB wanted to push things back a month. The MLB Players Association basically said, no, we want to stick with everything we're doing. We're already ramped up. We're already starting to get ready for when pitchers and catchers report on the 17th. And uh, news came out a little bit uh, late Monday morning that at least for the Grapefruit League, the 15 teams in the state of Florida, they're going to be going to sort of a pod-like environment for spring training. Yeah. Essentially, the four team, or the five teams that are on the east coast of the state, the Marlins and the Cardinals in Jupiter, the Nationals and the Astros in West Palm Beach, and the Mets in Port St. Lucie, that's all, those five are just going to be playing each other during spring training. It's looking like, according to Ken Rosenthal at the Athletic, it's going to be those five teams will play a combined will play 24 games against each other, which would break mm. down to six games apiece. And it makes sense. I mean, the COVID-19 still hasn't gone away. It's probably not going to go away for a while, even with all the vaccinations coming up. So the, to minimize travel as much as you can and still have spring training as close to the real thing as possible, that feels like probably the best compromise and as much of a win-win situation you can have given the situation that we're in. Yeah, necessary evil because you don't. The first and foremost, the safety is the priority, and we're still at that. You know, we're, we're going to be in that point, like you said, for a while. I think still, and a little unfortunate in the sense that you lose some games theoretically, or at least you're playing the same teams over and over. In the sense of every scout I've talked to, different coaches and organizations, you know, through some of the freelance work I've been doing the last few months, like they, they keep bringing up lamenting how last year it took away you know, developmental possible, you know, uh, means for a lot of prospects. I mean, not just the Marlins, but everybody. So now you get a little bit fewer looks. I mean, you're going to see them against kind of the same, potentially some of the same pitchers or some of the same hitters. So you lose a little bit of that. And then some days where you're going to go intra-squad, you lose the chance to see against that competition. So that's the unfortunate part, but unfortunately, but safety has to come first for now for everybody, obviously. But again, it's you're on one side. I guess you could see it one way or the other. You could see a glass half full that way. I mean, glass half empty that way, or you could see a glass half full in the sense of you are going to at least get pretty close to a semblance of a spring training that a full spring training, hopefully that we didn't have last year. And for those guys that are still developing, it's going to be huge because in a lot of cases, a lot of these prospects, you know, they haven't seen them against other teams in a long time. It's been like a year since they were close that they've really faced other competition in a game setting. And there's no substitute for that. As much as you want to simulate and, you know, throw bullpens and, 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 and face live hitters, it's not the same as actual game situations, even if they are exhibition. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you pointed out, once everything restarted last year, summer camp was you were in your own stadium. And that was it with the exception of, one or two warm-up games before the season. But at that point, you already knew who your roster was. It wasn't right. getting the chance to see the younger guys in live action. And those younger guys, the lucky ones who were able to be part of the player pool, got to be at the alternate training site. But again, you had a lot of your up-and-coming guys, your guys who would normally be 
fighting between a ball and potentially some of the guys, even some of the guys who are just squeaking the double a mark who haven't played live games since the end of 2019. So now, especially for a team like the Marlins who are still in that rebuilding phase and still have a lot of development to do with their, a lot of their top prospects, this gives them that that sense or that opportunity that they, that was taken away at the end of, or as things restarted that restarted up last season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, and looking at the uh, non-roster invitees that are going to be invited to camp, you know, some of those guys, I mean, the one that jumps off the page obviously is JJ Bleday, who apparently, you know, like every, all the feedback you heard from the organization was that he was great at the alternate site last year, you know, made strides, but you say that and, and, and it's, you know, you could take that, but at the same time, he still hasn't able to face hitters since Jupiter the year before. And so that's that gap right there. It's like you want that development to continue to come against other other pitchers and, and in the field and, and so on and so forth. And that's what you want to see him be able to take the next step in the spring. And like JJ, there's plenty others that we're going to get that chance to. Even on the pitching side, you know, Max Meyer hasn't been able to do anything in that regard yet. Now we're going to see that hopefully. Zach McCambly, same thing. Kyle Nicholas, a guy of the guys who were drafted last year that really haven't been able to do that against the other teams yet. Now you're going to get better looks at them, and it's going to be huge to to continue their respective you know progressions and and development. I mean, these are a lot of these are guys in in a lot of cases. Like Max is one of them that has come in, and he's very highly rated. We talked about it on Baseball America the other day. He's, he's in the top three. I mean, this is a guy that they're counting on to be potentially a piece in their rotation down the road and a few others could either be that or could be major bullpen pieces too so again very crucial spring if we can get these games in and start and and, and to, to shake off that rust for a lot of players and and continue their development on the proper track yeah, i mean you talked about again with nris the marlins have announced 25 guys total uh 18 that were announced uh late or early monday afternoon seven that were announced back, way back at the beginning of january and you hit on a bunch of the big names uh, between Max Meyer, uh, JJ Bleday. Uh, you have a couple other names that, again, with that large, that loaded outfielder group, you got Peyton Burdick and Cam Meisner yeah. and Connor Scott coming back. Yeah. Joe Dunan, who's an infielder who actually had a really strong, really strong run in winter ball, they're giving him another look. Uh, you have Will Banfield, who, let's who face it, really, it, really. Yeah. yeah. Who, Joe Dunan definitely needed. You got Will Banfield, who's getting his first big league spring training invite. He's their top catching prospect, and the Marlins need to get a pretty good evaluation on him considering where their catching depth and their catching situation is to know mm -hmm. if he's going to be their guy, one of their guys long-term. And you have some other guys. I mean, Eddie Alvarez is coming back, getting another chance. Uh, we talked about him, back. this guy, back about a month ago when they made the first wave, Sandy Leon, one of the veterans yeah. that they brought in who – Could push for a catcher spot. Maybe yeah. could push. And then – yeah, I mean that uh, Nassim Nunez. There, I was going to bring up Nassim, yeah. another guy, very still very young in his career. That again, some of the stuff I was talking about before needs to have that experience against uh, against other teams to continue his development. I mean, we're barely seeing him yet. Yeah, so I mean, so we have a lot of young guys that will be exciting to watch. How long they'll actually remain as part of big league camp once it starts up is to be determined, as always. But it at least gives us. Again, it gives us some, a sign of the old times, something that we've been longing for since March of since March of 2020. Which, wow, it's <laughs> it's hard to believe that it's only been a year since all this happened. Yeah, I was uh, talking to a coach recently that was like, thinks it's been three years. Like, he can't even remember how what the games looked like before. It feels you know, that like, way, <laughs> and I don't blame him. 
I know if we had an, at least we had a season and, and, and all of that, but, but this, even we've been talking about it, like, like, you know, even like if hopefully if, if nothing changes in the next few days or weeks, if we're out there and at least we're like on a backfield again and seeing some work being done, it's like, that's what we're used to. And it feels like it's been like two, three years since we were able to go out there and really, you know, experience that. So it's going to be good. Hopefully if, if it can be conducted safely, you know, like once again. Yeah, no doubt about it. We're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about expectations with this team and what we should be expect, what we should anticipate and what should be realistic for the Marlins as 2020 gets a little bit closer. So we'll be right back. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. Uh, Andre, this is a question we've talked about this many times over the last month or so, especially as we see the NLEs continuing to just beef up. I mean, the latest move, Marcelo Zuma is back with the Braves, and we had a little bit of the gasp moment when it looked like Bauer might, Trevor Bauer might actually go to the Mets. He went to the Dodgers, so the Marlins can have a tiny bit of a sigh of relief on that one. But still, as we get closer to spring training and then ultimately the 2021 season, Marlins coming off their playoff push, they're coming off the run, they're, they have op- a lot of internal optimism. But in the same vein, with how stacked the NL East is next, is looking at least at the very least on paper going into mm-hmm. the season, what would be realistic targets that you would try to think about for the Marlins this season? Obviously, all the players and the man and management and Don Mag are going to say we made the playoffs. Our goal is going to make be the playoffs, but there's a lot that's going to have to go into it for the Marlins to be contenders for making the playoffs this year. Now you want you want a win total. You want a uh, what? Do you, what? Do you, what are your what, which part? How what prediction are you asking for here, or what assessment are you asking for over here? Because I can give you a win total. I can give you kind of a range of where I think they'll end up. Just more in general, what do you want to see from the Marlins? I mean, record aside, what do you record want to aside progress wise from this team? Because I no. mean, let's face it, they're probably going to hover around that seventy that. Somewhere in the seventies range is where yeah. I'm thinking on paper. Yeah. But just in general, what would you want to see to say at the end of the year the Marlins made progress? Offense. And that to me bottom line, because I know a lot of these guys can pitch and I think are gonna pitch. But you look at the horses that they've ha- that they have in this division now more than ever. Mm-hmm. You need to have a semblance of a of a lineup that can consistently compete. And not, not just compete, like be scrappy and get a win here. No, 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 no. Like legitimately be able to compete or at least show signs that they're on their way to that this season. And that's going to be hard. That's a hard ask because 
you look at the rotations that Atlanta has that the Mets have put together. And I know you're saying about Bauer, but they're going to face him when they play LA as well, even out of the division. So, I mean, the national league overall is stacked with pitchers. Look at what the Padres did with their rotation, you know, but primarily within the East, Washington still has their veterans, of, of course, Philly, not to be taken lightly as well, as far as their arms. So, I mean, it's can this team play the style they did last season, but even hit more, really, because, you know, we've talked about guys like Corey Dickerson that didn't hit as well as they could have. Can he bounce back and be better? Can Marte be clutch again throughout the, through an extended season for them? You know, the, can Alfaro's back come along? Because, you know, obviously we've seen the strikeout issues there, but they're still hopeful that, that he can turn this around. And then we've seen, you know, in the middle infield, there's, you know, Miggy's going to be the leader, obviously, but, you know, there's still guys developing. Jazz is still developing. You know, uh, Isan missed pretty much the whole season. First base, you're hoping Lewin Diaz eventually takes over, but Aggie's there with the power. But collectively, can this team hit night in and night out or, or and avoid because they're facing, they're going to be facing big guns left and right throughout the season. And it's going to be longer now. But the aggressive style and smart way that they played last year when it was when it came to stealing bases, extending hits, being aggressive, all of that helped a lot. So I think that is a must. They got to take that, bring it back this season, and then hopefully it's enhanced with a couple of more bats, guys further along, that sort of thing. But the biggest strides, I think we've seen a lot of strides in terms of the pitching. And some of those expectations, I am a believer, are going to pay off. But from the offensive standpoint, if you see – something tangible where they took a lot of strides, even if it's a 75 win season, that to me is the most valuable because then you can build off of that. And you're thinking to yourself, all right, now we have a little more of a balanced franchise in terms of the pitching, hitting that sort of thing. And we're progressing toward being a real contender, which to me, that was always kind of where that window you hoped would open like by, by 2022, maybe, or even 23. And then you could start to hang with the big dogs because again, not to, not to beat it to death, but we've seen, how good Atlanta is and the moves that the Mets have made and, and even, you know, now Washington and Philly bringing JT back for, for an extended amount of time. I mean, they're not, no one's going anywhere in this division for a while. No, definitely. And one guy who you didn't mention, I'm not sure if he's just little, but Garrett Cooper still in this group too with Garrett Cooper. Between, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the main thing with him would be just staying on the field. Obviously last right. year it was COVID related, but the two years prior it was, the wrist injuries and the hamstring stuff in 2019. But if he's able to get a full 162 or let's just say a 135 to 140, depending on what they do with how they play him with the uncertainty of a DH and knowing he's going to have to rotate with Aguilar. If he can yeah. get that consistent, that consistent playing time in him and produce the way that he did when he was on the field the last two seasons, that's yeah, going mean, to give he, that significant pop that they need. Yeah. And, and, and look, not that long ago, we were hearing Mattingly say that, that Coop and Harold Ramirez were the two guys that, that sparked the engine and got everything going. Remember a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and he's been picking up off of that when he's been on the field, he's been clutch. I mean, we've seen him time and time again, he did it in the playoffs, you know? So yeah, Garrett Cooper, most definitely valuable to me. The interesting part is going to be if they, if he doesn't play as much outfield, how do they balance that whole thing at first base to get him enough of bats, especially if there's no DH, because at least at DH, you alleviate that a little bit to be perfect for that. You know, you bring his bat in, you don't lose it in the lineup every day. And in a way, you protect him in case of any injury issues and, and things like that. But if that's not there, then, you know, how do you how do you pull all of this off without hindering, let's say, the the chances or limiting the chances for a guy like Lewin that's on the way up? Yeah, and Lewin and just the prospects in general, that's 
the Marlins seem like they're banking on seeing some growth from those guys when they get their opportunity since outside of, well, really they didn't add anything from the position player side this year. So knowing that they're going to be banking on whether it's a Lewin Diaz or a Monte Harrison or a Jesus Sanchez or potentially later on down the road in 2021, the day it's, yeah. it's looking like they're hoping that at least one of them gets to their potential by the end of 20, by the end of the season and makes and justifies the fact that they're going all in on the young guys, which at the end of the day has been the ultimate has been one of the main goals of this of this group since the ownership group took over. And, and that's what I mean. If on the off, and that's why I go back to the offense. If, if the offensive side doesn't make strides, we're going to look back at this and say, Hey, well, didn't really add much to it. You kind of trusted that the core you had was good enough. The prospect, you wanted to see the prospects along the way, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but if it, but if they do, then obviously you feel better about kind of, you know, what the decisions that were made and you think to yourself, okay, now let's just build on that and the means that they have in one year's time. But again, very crucial because still a lot of what ifs at a lot of positions there amongst the, amongst the, the hitters. Yeah. And we're going to hopefully start getting some of those answers in just over a week. And until then, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. But before we end it, I just want to give a quick congratulations to one-time Marlins legend, John Lynch, for making the <laughs> Pro Football Hall of Fame. First guy in Marlins organization to throw a, to throw a pitch in any sort of professional baseball setting. Congratulations, man. <laughs> that should be – that has to come up in Canton next summer. Like, somehow. Somebody's got to put that or, – or, or maybe during the, in the, in the lead-up to Canton. Like, like somebody's got to mention that. I mean, that that that's like an urban legend. That's almost like people are probably like, really? I mean, when you tweeted it, I I I had to look it up because I I knew of the story, but then I had forgotten about it. And I'm like, that's right. <laughs> you know, now everybody, there's a whole generation that only knows him as the 49ers GM, which is sad enough. You know, nobody remembers yeah. his Bucks days when he was a monster back mm-hmm. there. You know, clobbering receivers over the middle and running backs, but. But anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank anyway. you, Miggy, for thank you. Tell your story about Miggy, by the way, on that Super Bowl media yeah, yeah, day. Yeah. So Super Bowl Fifty Four, when Marlins Park hosted the opening night cer- ceremonies, where media got basically full access to the teams. Uh, Miguel Rojas actually played the role of reporter for the day. Went around to a bunch of the Chiefs guys. He even asked Andy Reid where he got his floral shirt. Which was probably which made me laugh a lot harder than I thought I would, and then toward the end of the 49ers Forty ers time, a few of us got in got a scrum interview with John Lynch, just asking basic things about just being there. I got some stuff about Nick Boza for a profile I was doing, and right as the scrum ends, I hear Miguel Rojas ask something to the extent of, "Well, since you are a Mar- since you were part of the Marlins organization and you're in Marlins Park right now, what's it like to be back home?" And John Lynch had a good laugh. He answered the question, gave a pretty decent response. And it just, it made the two worlds that were colliding just, it made the, it made the perfect ending to, to the two worlds that were colliding on that night. And it just, and it also made me realize that Miguel Rojas may be coming after my job when he, once he retires, he seems oh, yeah. to have the media job down pat. <laughs> maybe he's going to be on a panel somewhere. Well, he already is. He right now, I think the, the, the Serie Caribe, he's been on, uh, he's been a part of the uh, broadcast team with our buddy, Danny and, and, and a few other guys down there. So he's, he's, he's yeah. it's starting. It's starting yeah. with him. He's not yeah. done playing yet. He probably, he's, he hopes he's not done playing for a little bit, but he's already, he's taking some steps already. So yeah, he'll, he'll be on, on some baseball panels. You'll see him up there just like Frank Thomas and a rod. I mean, we'll see where he, where he ends up, but, He'll land somewhere. He'll be doing some. He'll be covering some baseball here and there. Yeah, but 
until then, while I solve my job before Miggy ends up taking it from me, uh, that's we're <laughs> going to wrap up this episode of Fish Bites. Next week, our episode, that our final episode before spring training starts, is going to be a special one. Andre, myself, and a few others, we're going to be doing a roundtable to just take a bigger picture look at spring training, our expectations, what we're excited about as we get back up to Jupiter, and just overall what we think is going the 2021 season is going to look like. So you're not going to want to miss that. But until then, thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>